I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman. <laughs> Welcome back, Tryhards. Season 5, Episode 1, and I am delighted to introduce my new co-presenter, Mrs. Moretti. Ciao bella, ciao bella. <laughs> don't panic, guys, don't panic. I haven't got a new Italian co-host Nolly got married. Don't know if anyone would be aware of that from social media because I feel like we all really gloated about the funnest wedding in the history of weddings. Um, but you are now a missus. Do you feel different? Yeah. Like it's weird being a wife. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really grown up when you say you're a wife. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't suit me. Um, although my new status uh, started to learn Italian. So each week I may bring in a new word for everyone and this week the word is felice which means drumroll please happy there we go oh, a little bit like felicitation in french see si. si. <laughs> <laughs> um we had an absolute blast this summer there have been no pods but it's because we've been having too much fun we had an incredible hen weekend for our darling Danielle, which was Swansea. in Swansea. Lots of bumps and bruises. Lot what of bumps and bruises. I feel like that pause there was us that moment of reflection of the fact that anybody um, that didn't see the video on Instagram or some of the highlight reels that we put out, um, I was treated to a pajama party in a soft play area, adult style, where. where Blue slushes were added to with alcohol. Um, but what a weekend. Rounders on the beach, dressed as an England player in Swansea. Um, big shout out obviously goes to um, Sarah Griffiths who sorted out um, some free drinks for us. Um, actually, for the hen and for the wedding, came through massively for the wedding. Um, I don't think... Well, I don't think it would have been half of the day, half of the weekend, if we didn't have the actual Guinness pump that you lot all had far too much fun trying to pour all your own Guinnesses. Me, Sam and Tom basically putting our head under it on Friday evening. Um, I still cannot stop laughing and regaling my dad with stories from the wedding and telling him that Diageo had kindly provided the alcohol and he assumed that Diageo was Simone's dad. 
He went, who's Diageo? Simone's dad? I was like, no, Fran, <laughs> Diageo, own Guinness. He was like, oh, well, it sounded like an Italian man. Oh, brilliant. So uh, now that, that's become like a little catchphrase in the Joneses household over the past like month or so. We keep going, who's Diageo? Simone's dad? Oh, quality. How funny is that? How funny is that? Um, it was an absolute epic of a wedding, though. There was laughter. There were tears, uh, mainly from Pete, uh, Giselle Mather's husband, who dislocated his shoulder during the fast photo round. Um, but what a trooper. Had it, <laughs> had it put back in and partied through to the bitter end. Yeah, big shout out to all the medics that happen to be either my godfather or great friends. Um, that was a bizarre moment. Uh, but I don't think it would be truly my wedding, given my history, uh, to not have an injury. I did nearly try and injure myself by a slight slip on the dance floor. But um, Pete is having his operation in a couple of weeks to sort his shoulders. So, yeah. Get well soon, Pete. Get well uh, soon, Pete. <laughs> um, I have never eaten so much at a wedding in my life to the point where when we got up from the wedding breakfast, um, which is the meal in the reception, Nolly, not the breakfast that your brother's made. When we got up from the wedding breakfast, I was like, oh my God, I'm so full. I can't move. And then I decided I'd just start picking at the cheese board and I probably ate about a kilo of soft cheese. And then um, has made a comment to me about like how much I'd eaten, which I felt like was shaming me. Uh, but it was really fair because then after that, I went and nailed two pizzas in the uh, outdoor wood-fired pizza kitchen. So I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure how the zip of my dress didn't burst open. I ate so much. And I, was, I was like, I haven't drunk as much as everyone else. Everyone's so much drunker than me. And I think it's because I didn't give myself an opportunity to get drunk because there was just so much food <laughs> soaking it up. Yeah, there's no, no space for liquid. Mm. I tell you what, anyone that is planning a wedding, my, my biggest recommendation is one, get all your friends and family to do all the organising for you um, on the morning of the wedding. That's always good. Um, and two... Just provide loads of food, loads and loads of food, because um, you can guarantee happiness with that. <laughs> I completely agree. It was one of the best weddings I've ever been to. It was absolutely amazing. And thank you for having all of us as part of it. Um, though you sound really old now that you're described as a wife. Please don't frown at me. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's weird, though, because now I feel far more comfortable describing Simone as your husband, because I used to feel really uncomfortable calling him your boyfriend, because... Simone's like, old. well, he's not old. He's just grown up compared to us. So I feel so much better that I can be like, oh, Nolly's husband, Simone, is Italian. Because I say that all the time. Whereas the thought that you're a wife is a bit, it. yeah. Okay, well, moving on. I'm really pleased you had a great day. Um, I did. I felt lots of uh, love from everybody. And yeah, I'm super excited to get the official photographs back. And, you know, it was really cool because I got my, <laughs> from um I think I spoke about it uh on last season's pod from Minehead it got um from Karen's shop Exmoor Brides and I got Carol to do the alterations who actually lived downstairs from us when we were growing up and um, got the flowers from Hannah who lives in Minehead who my dad taught her sister um the my hair was done by Maxine Lawrence who was the uh other one of the other rugby families growing up and her mum did her, my mum's hair at the same time that Max was doing mine it was just all like 
really massive. And then from outside of the gang, um, we still kept it close. So Chris uh, Sullivan, who does the uh, makeup on BT Sport, she came down and looked after us and made us all look and feel beautiful. So, yeah. Um, and Toby, who was the photographer, went to uni with my brother. So it was all kept pretty much in-house. And I think from that perspective, it just felt like, um, yeah, it, it couldn't have been more perfect and, and more inclusive in terms of just our wider, wider world. Lovely. So thank you. Lots of love, everybody. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the like, first time we spoke about the wedding for a while. I think that's why we're waffling on about it. <laughs> I feel like I talk about it all the time because it was so good. Anyway, moving on to rugby, even though there was a lot of rugby talked about at the wedding. Um, why don't we start in the land of the long white cloud where the Rugby World Cup kicks off in about three weeks' time. Goodness, that's very soon. Um, New Zealand play Japan in their final warm-up game at Eden Park. Uh Obviously, you've played in a home World Cup. How important is it for New Zealand to get a run out in this few weeks at the venue of the opening games, the um, semi-finals and finals? What does that do in the context of preparation for a team? Um, well, it's massive when you're welcoming back players that have been off to sevens. <laughs> so they haven't played 50s for a little while uh, with Stacey Flula um, and Portia Woodman, um, both being over in Cape Town. Oh. Don't be jealous. Don't not mention my best friend, Sarah Hirani. She's also in the squad. <laughs> um, You're so yeah. jealous. <laughs> no, I, look, I think um, well, she goes into the forward, so she's kind of forgotten about oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, it's massive. And I'm really intrigued to see how they go. Um, I think from their squad announcement, there's some players that aren't necessarily, that you possibly could have thought would have been included in terms of their experience. Carla Hohepa being one of them. Um, Kelly well, Brazier. 2010. <laughs> Kelly Brazier, I was quite surprised to see her as an omission. Yeah, um, Les Elder, who captained in the autumn. Um, so there's a lot, there are other there are girls that, and Chelsea uh, Semple, she used to be Chelsea Alley when I played her. Um, she's got massive Oh, God, one of the worst bruises on her ankle. She's been in a boot, so it must be a pretty serious injury. But, yeah, I think the opportunity to play, um, it's a curtain raiser before uh, All Blacks Wallabies, which is slightly controversial um, from last week. That was what I finished with. <laughs> I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely banging. It probably won't be as good as when uh, Rita Ora has performed. Um, I was going to say Rihanna, but he did correct me earlier. <laughs> yeah. Rita Ora, wife of Taika Waititi, the um, very famous Kiwi director who, of course, wrote and directed and starred in Jojo Rabbit, directed the last three Thor movies... Um, he plays Korg in the Thor movies. He's one of my mum's favourite Marvel characters. I know not everyone's a Marvel fan, but I know we do have some Marvel fans who listen. So uh, basically, you... basically Millie Wood's boyfriend, Luke, does listen to the pod and he is a Marvel fan. So there we go. Um, he's away uh, oh, on right. oh, yeah. Uh, three, yeah, three months. Um, I, I like, how do you know all of this stuff? Because I like films. I like rugby and I like watching films. Every day. Oh, okay. I, get up. <laughs> I like rugby and I like films. Um, when I wake up every morning, I do Wordle. 
And then I do framed.wtf, which is where it gives you six frames from a film and you guess, you have to guess the film. And this morning I got it from the first frame. I don't know whether I'm impressed or feel sorry for you. Um, You would be awful at it. (laughs) I'd be surprised if you ever got one right, ever. (laughs) Genuinely. Hill or Lion King, I'd be all right. I'd get it. I'm not even sure you would. Um, if you did mastermind, what would your topic be then? Um, I'd do the West Wing because I am a West Wing. I'm, I'm what they call a wing nut. That's what they call West Wing aficionados. Um, so I'd do the West Wing, but then obviously you have to change your specialist subject when you get to the final. So <laughs> you'd get to reach the final, would you? <laughs> yeah, I would because I've got great Gen K and I also know the West Wing inside and out. So I, I'd be looking at 23 points, easy money. <laughs> um and then i probably do dirty dancing in the final I do. and then clive myrie could say and with a whopping 30 points she's had the time of her life laura jane jones is the new celebrity mastermind champion <laughs> is that because what what's your um ambassadorial role not shambassador uh with ambassador uh, <laughs> how dare you how dare you? I don't think I'd even have a topic. <laughs> Yours would be something like really rugby nausey. No, I think it would be like walks that Koi has been on. <laughs> Tomatoes of the world. <laughs> I think the problem is with walks that Koi has been on, I'd have to give them the answers, so I'd just still get them wrong. <laughs> Yeah, with your memory, no doubt. Um, we we digress. We digress. Um, uh, New Zealand played Japan this weekend. New Zealand named their squad. They've improved over these warmers. We have seen them in so far. They were poor in the autumn. They they surprised in the autumn with how they went. But where do you see them now in the context of this World Cup? And and also, I'm really intrigued as to how much being the host nation can lift a team. Um, well, that's why I'm interested with this weekend because Japan are right pain in the backside as a team to play, um, and they're they're on a good upward trajectory. I'm not going to lie, their game against South Africa, which I watched as a my prep, I thought I'm going to get organised. There's a lot more games than um, there ever has been in a women's rugby world cup build up, which is awesome. Need to get going on it. Possibly one of the worst 80 minutes of my life. But they did get better. And then to the point where they beat Ireland. Now, Ireland are in a kind of progression phase. They're not not the traditional Ireland that, you know, won the Grand Slam in 2013. Um, but, um, yeah, they're, they're reasonably handy. Will they stay with the Black Ferns? No. But could they cause them some problems and some different challenges yes so it'd be interesting to see how New Zealand overcome that I think the biggest thing for them is just continuity with their basics like there's still a lot of ball going to floor there's still some you know inconsistency at set piece um and to have the emotion of playing at Eden Park playing you know it's perfect preparation and Japan are probably one of the perfect um teams for them to to do that I think 
what's also been announced is um, Canada will fly via Fiji. Um, so there's very, very few test matches ever played over there. So teams are realising that they need to get that, those games in. And like I said, there's there's been more games than there ever has been. Um, in fact, in you talk about the Home World Cup prep, uh, 2010 was our Home World Cup and I hadn't, not uh, eight months to the day, I played my first game having ruptured my ACL, which was against Wales in Wales. Um, it was pouring with rain, really slippy, absolute pure panic and the first play that we did there was no one watching it was behind closed doors slash no one was watching <laughs> i always think it's favorable to say it was behind closed doors yeah they were selling tickets no one came but it was behind closed doors um, they were they were worried about trouble between the fans so it can get spicy at a women's international warm-up game 10 years ago yeah, might have been leaked um i uh yeah, the first play they did was an M1 lift back in the day. The old Katie to Skaz popped to me and it was like a crash ball. Um, so it was a nice welcome back to to contact um, and to playing. Yeah, because I'd hardly done any contact before the game. So I say I did do some contact in that game. But um, I think the prep for a home World Cup is different. You feel like incredibly proud and excited that you've got that opportunity they've gone in to camp for the first time since their squad has been announced I can imagine that first meeting like how I remember just being so kind of yeah I think excited is exactly the right word um the problem is is there's only seven girls that went to the 2017 World Cup so how many of those players will then end up feeling a bit <laughs> overwhelmed by it um and that's that's the risk of being at home is that you have the weight of the nation. And as we saw from the Blackburn Sevens girls losing in Cape Town, losing isn't something that you experience very much. Yeah. Um, and for them, they will hold on to that. Uh, I'll be so, really intrigued to see whether the Blackburn's management, which we know has got a lot of senior men from New Zealand rugby involved in it now, um, whether they are going to bring Ted and Steve Hansen in just to talk to them about the pressure of of being the host nation. Because obviously the way in 2011, New Zealand won the World Cup. They beat France in the worst World Cup final we'll ever watch. And they were uninspiring at certain points in that World Cup. And it was, it was quite clear and quite tangible that a lot of that was to do with the fact that for the first time, the, the greatest nation in world rugby were hosting this World Cup on their shores, on their soil. And it clearly had an impact on players. Obviously every test match, they lost a, a first 5-8, which didn't help them. Um, but it, it's that's a learning opportunity. And I really hope that the IQ of, of someone like Graham Henry or someone like Steve Hansen is what they they lean into now in this next few weeks, because, you know, you actually sent me a, a post that Sarah Hirony had put out yesterday. I'd obviously seen it because we're best friends um, about like losing and the pressure of losing. And I I often look at them and the pressure they put on themselves. And and yeah, of course, every team wants to win. But sometimes it always looks like it comes from a different place of pressure. Like it's unacceptable to lose in New Zealand rugby. And that's something that, you know, you draw from and, and strengthens you and gives you power. But then at the same time, the fear of loss, the fear of losing at home in a World Cup, that's a psychology that is going to be very difficult to to get around. And something that, you know, as you've mentioned, a lot of younger players in that squad, a lot of inexperienced, you know, in, in relative to, to other squads and, and other situations. So yeah, that's going to be 
you'd think that this test match is a huge, huge prep for them, regardless of any of the rugby, but actually being there in that environment and, and having that weight of, of fandom behind you. It's a big old stadium as well. Yeah. I've played in it and uh, yeah, came on the pitch, bench. We've, we've all been on the pitch at Eden Park, mate. Um, we're on the official tour. We've played in 2005. Um, we toured before the 2006 World Cup and uh, we got smashed by the New Zealand like 30 odd points and Jeff Richards went apps who was the head coach at the time went mental in um, in video analysis and I remember thinking it's probably the only time I've ever been happy to have a to come off the bench and not touch the ball because it means he can't <laughs> have a gallery. <laughs> He, I remember he, there was a breakdown and he stopped it and he pointed and said, who's that lazy player there? Who's that lazy player there? And Georgia Stevens, who in my opinion was way before her time in the back row, played six for England, like absolutely world-class, one of our best players on the tour, literally probably the only mistake she made. And, he, and she like, she's got quite a high pitch voice and she slowly put up her hand and was like, it was me. <laughs> it's just, um, yes, yeah, so that was pretty hellish. Uh, but moving on from uh, New Zealand, Japan, and talk Let's about fly back up north, we? Sorry, Let's fly back up north. Yeah, oh, doing my oh. hand gesture. People can't see that at home. No, but... and I didn't understand it anyway. Um, just the uh, England Wales game. Um, talk about psychology and stuff like that, and psychologists and stuff. It's really interesting to watch her story. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, been done. You've been talking about it for a while, but I finally tuned in on YouTube for the Welsh girls. <laughs> they, having toured Canada, took a psychologist out there, and it was really interesting to hear her view on why she felt it was important being there and the fact that there was a massive recognition that this is the first time the girls will have toured for so long um there's a lot of like there's a lot more pressure potentially on like the selections and how all of the team come together given like the contracts and the dynamic of all of that because as much as people say you know contracts are amazing which they are obviously because they give you the time to rest and recover and be with the squad all the time it totally changes the dynamic of your relationships within that squad because you're around those people all the time and little niggly things like eat away at you and, and actually how do you manage that and and something that you although we you know for me I always saw it as my job to be the best athlete I could be I could do it in my own space I didn't have to do it around everyone yeah. and so when I start, when I got my first contract I really struggled and I think England really struggled because it with the men it's natural to them because it's always been their job Whereas it's not been our job. It's yeah. been, we've had other jobs to think about. We've had other people to talk about. We've had things away from the game that haven't solely been about the fact that every single day I'm being judged on, you know, am I being judged on what I'm eating for breakfast? Am I being judged on how I'm doing my prehab? Like, it's like this constant thing that I don't think you are all the time, but if you're in a performance environment, that pressure is there. So... It's good to hear, um, I mean, she didn't go into all of that, but um, that was my interpretation of it. Um, yeah, so then, you know, obviously England absolutely obliterated Wales, which 
the rugby can we mention the fact that it was the first time we sang god save the Qu- the king and then he said god save the queen it was we yeah i always sing it as well i'm british my parents served her majesty the queen so you know i i always sing when him love and had i and then i do sing god save now the king which the big occasion wasn't it danielle I always said when I played, because I, d- I didn't think it was going to come on the back of her dying. I think it, I thought it would be on the back of her handing over the reins. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I always said, oh, I wonder whether... And people were like, no, you wouldn't do that. I was like, of course she would. Like, it's yeah. like the king now. Um, God yeah, save the queen's king. son. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think what's weird, I can't get, I can't get my head around king charles rather than prince charles because he's always yeah. i also didn't think that he would reign as king charles i thought that he would pick another name because charles isn't a particularly lucky monarch name so obviously like the queen's father was a king edward wasn't he or no george basically he wasn't his name because his name was albert so he was george the sixth the queen's father i know it was albert because i have we have a necklace that i wore at my wedding that was cool. from Albert and Alexander. Um, so, which I always was confused because I was like, "It's a different one. It's not the same one. It's not. That's not the Queen's father. It, that's like two back babes." Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, my God! Oh, it is I know what you were going to say. I knew it was Albert because I've watched the King's Speech. But again, that's a film you're not going to because you haven't seen it. Um, what was the mood like from a production perspective on Wednesday ahead of that game? Oh. <laughs> Why? Oh, I told you this is my mate, not as. <laughs> oh, honestly, you're like you're such a nose. Like honestly, I can't with this one. So, listeners, um, we had our production meeting, and like before every game, they tend to they get like the the team together and just talk about the show, um, skirt over conversations, just chat about how it's all going to go, and. Phil, who is head of rugby at ITV, was talking about how... No, it wasn't Phil, actually. It was Neil Cox who was um, replacing Phil because he was doing some other... The Men's Rugby World Cup prep. But um, And he said, obviously, the, the tone of this is going to be you know pretty serious and we need to make sure that we remember that. And I was, like, thinking, yeah, like, it is a World Cup game, like, warm-up game. It's England-Wales. <laughs> And then obviously about 30 seconds later, I looked at Jill Douglas and realised that they were talking the about her. Black, and I said it was <laughs> Nolly. I love the fact that you thought he was like, you know, this is incredibly serious. It's a <laughs> last hit out ahead of squads being announced. I can imagine in your head you were like, yes, Neil. Yes, thank you for the respect that this game duly deserves. You, honestly, you in need fact- to I just realised how different it was. So rewind 12 years to say we played um, behind closed doors, uh, England-Wales um, twice. And we played them at home as well at Surrey Sports Park. The legendary and SSP. There was, it was literally just on one of the training fields. And I, we did have post protectors. It was like, it was a proper field. Um, uh, but um, I, yeah, oh my gosh. And then fast forward to now where there was like pretty much 11,000 people in Ashton Gate for the first time live on ITV4. That's mad. That's mad. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I've done a, a series of interviews over the last week with um, a few of the players and, and people involved in the 1991 World Cup that was obviously not sanctioned by the International Rugby Board at the time. And, and one of the questions that I've asked Giselle and, and Jill and, and Bird is, could you have imagined that 30 years later, women's rugby would be where it is today? But it's actually probably more, a more pertinent question to you because actually in a shorter space of time, you've seen more growth. And do you think, if you were honest with yourself, that you would have imagined in 2010 that a Rugby World Cup warm-up game in this country would have had a crowd like that? Um. Yeah, to be honest, after 2010, I think... I would have thought it would have happened quicker because we filled out SSP, which obviously wasn't that hard. It was like 3,000, I think. Um, then went to the stoop and for the semi-final and final, it was pretty much a sellout. Yeah. Um, we were in all the front pages of the newspapers. It was the first time it literally boomed. Um, I think losing in that World Cup, meant that it didn't then have the real kickstart that 2014 did. I saw a massive momentum shift in 2014 when we came home and won and what happened then. But I think, to be perfectly honest, women's sport wasn't hasn't been in the place to push it on. And you've seen in the last couple of years that although I, I think rugby has been at the fore, women's rugby has been at the forefront of the press and the media for a long time so since Sky Sky Sports were covering it in 2010 and continued that um, it's been in the BBC it's you know do you know what I mean it's always been there but it also it can't women's sport in my opinion needed football to be a massive success because that's the the sport of the nation as much as we want it to be rugby um, and so <laughs> now like the Women's World Cup boomed I think when was that 2018 19 time um I remember being when I was living down in London and 
that really started the momentum. And then this year, you know, there's no hiding from the fact that they're absolute rock stars. We filled stadiums. And then it's right now, it's kind of a green light for everyone to go, um, even though rugby has been doing that for a long time. But I think that that's like the strongest foundation it could have had. I think that what's a shame from the Northern Hemisphere perspective is this is the first time it's going down to Southern Hemisphere with the Women's Rugby World Cup. It's brilliant. Like, it'll be awesome. Um, it just couldn't have happened probably at a worse time in that if it had been in the Northern Hemisphere because of the time difference, because yeah. of all of that, the momentum it could have really gathered would have been amazing, especially given how strong England are and potentially how Scotland and Wales will go as well. Um, and I the French times are a nightmare when you compare them to 2011. But one thing I will say, and maybe this is me being very kind of um, hopeful and optimistic there's you know you don't want to curse anything if we if we are all honest and, and all say it as it is England are getting to the final and, and this World Cup is is theirs for the taking as it stands I love the thought of I, I remember very vividly 03 and my dad taking me to the pub to watch England men playing a World Cup final and England men win a World Cup final you know it was, the expectation was that England men would be successful I love the thought of there being a kind of national campaign for people to get up and watch that final on the 12th of November uh, you know we know that'll be a a massive rugby day anyway we will be in the midst of the men's autumn internationals at that point and I think as much as the the pool stages are going to suffer from some of these kickoff times because they are exceptionally early in the morning because they are kind of lunchtime kickoffs down in New Zealand but the thought that the final could have a huge huge audience here because you are hyping something up it's not going to clash with the men's games on those days we're not competing with them we you know it's not going to be a three o'clock kickoff for the rugby world cup final whilst england are playing south africa at twickenham it's going to be right your rugby day starts at eight o'clock when england play the black ferns at eden park with a world cup trophy on the line and that for me is so exciting (laughs) (laughs) oh it's england japan that day anyway but um but uh, is it yeah um don't care about should, everybody. Should we move on? There's other teams. I think just quickly a note on England. Obviously, there's been a little bit of leakage to the um to the press, nowhere else. Um <laughs> <laughs> Ew, you're disgusting. You um, you are. um and uh if anyone could just hear some itching, that was Koya, not me. Um I <laughs> leakage. <laughs> Um, I sorry, I've digressed away in a silly note to um squad selection. Come on, squad Talk, selection. There have been there have been um some names banded about that perhaps are missing out. We're not going to go into that. We will wait for the squad to be announced tomorrow. Perhaps by the time you're listening to this, you will know the full squad. But it's difficult, Niles, because I I don't really want to ask you what it's like to be worried about having your name on the line, and I don't want to blow smoke up your ass. But if we're honest. You, you were never dropped by England. If you didn't play, it's because you were injured, which you did quite frequently. You weren't dropped by England. You missed out on a World Cup final because of a concussion. But for those players who will miss out this week, how lonely a place is that? How how upsetting a place is that? What what kind of, what support would they get from the, the wider squad, the ones who do make it? And, and you know, what, if, if you've got a mate who misses out on a World Cup squad, what do you say to him? It's brutal, I think. I think the only thing that you can really say is that it doesn't define you as a 
as a player and as your career. And I think what's hard about England is that those players that miss out would probably be in 99% of every other nation's starting team. And that's what's hard. They're going to have to see players that are not as good as them representing their countries at a World Cup. And that's quite tough. And I think it's, I think when you are a performance athlete, it's, there's a massive ego thing there because you want to say to people, I'm really good and I've been picked. And it's that, oh, I'm not good enough to be picked. Like that kind of dialogue, but, but also just the work that they've put in, you know, for some of them, potentially they're, it will be second, third World Cups, you know, like that's, and and to have gone to 2017 and, and not got the trophy, um, yeah, it's tough. And I think from, from my perspective, 2017 was when I found out about having to miss the final officially because we'd put in a, a um, inquiry about, like, do I definitely have to miss it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was awful. It was one of the worst days of my career. Um, luckily, I had my parents over in Ireland and we, I just took myself away for the for the day. And even just think about it now, I, I, you could probably hear in my voice the, the emotion of it because it just meant it meant everything to me. But when I came home, um, I spent some time with the girls. I, I was rooming with Fleeto and we chatted and, and Lydia Thompson came in and gave me the most beautiful earrings and a card and and so you know the, the the wider squad is super important in those moments I think when it flipped for me was the realization that there were four players because at the time it was only a squad of 26 and there were only 22 players playing um, and actually four players not being picked for a World Cup final put it into perspective for me because I 99.9% would have started and all the other games would have started in that final. Um, I couldn't physically be picked because of my injury. They weren't injured. They weren't picked. And I think that seeing them and, and, and having to support those girls was something that I was able to then focus on. Interestingly, when you look at that group of girls, um, Leanne Infante, Poppy Cleo, Zoe Allcroft um, and Emily Scott. And Emily Scott is, you know, not involved with England anymore. But those three names are three of England's best players. Zoe Allcroft, four years later, became World Player of the Year. And so I think what's tough is the players that miss out um, and full stop in any squad. Um, but what's really, really tough and very, very hard is when you're not a young player and with an opportunity to go again. You know, 20, 2006, I knew I was 21 years old. I've got another World Cup in me in 2010. 2010, I knew I was 25. I've got another World Cup in me. I then started a question after 2014. But, um, hey, but, knowing you, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if in 2017 you thought, I'll go again. I'll go again. <laughs> Thank God I didn't because it five years. But um, yeah, I think uh, I'm very, very grateful that it was only three. Um, but I I think that's what's tough is that there will be players across the nations that that will be their last international involvement potentially. Um, and you never want a career to finish on being not not being selected. I think the only messages I've ever sent has been that it's the opinions of, in England's case, three three people, three coaches and 
it's in that, it's those three coaches in this moment in time. If it's six months down the line, three months down the line, to a year ago, that that view might be very very different. And also the the linking between the squads. And I think like you know you grimaced when I said it was a squad of twenty six. Like it's bizarre for me to think that it's squads of thirty two. Like I'm like there's so many people that are gonna have a rest. And also there's a week between games. We played every four days. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, um, yeah, it's huge. But the other thing, just to quickly wrap in in that sense is I missed the World Cup final because at the time HIA was six day turnaround. That's now pushed up to 12 days. And so theoretically people that could happen again and I think or could happen at different times through the tournament. And I really hope it doesn't. But that's something that the coaches will have had to have thought about. Yeah. And it's not just injuries you're dealing with. It's those, t- because eight weeks is a long time. Potentially, you could actually get a serious injury in the first week yeah. and then get back in time to play in the, in the last stages, which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. England and Wales both announced their squads this week before they travel at the tail end of the week. Quick word on Wales. Obviously, that scoreline was an absolute drubbing. I personally think that that's the best preparation that they could have going into the World Cup. They are in the same group as the Black Ferns. Uh, They've got Scotland who will want to put one on them, considering what happened in the Six Nations this year and the way that Wales stole victory from the jaws of defeat in the last three minutes of that game. But you don't necessarily agree that that's not the best prep for them? I do and I don't. I think from my perspective, the fact that they scored from set piece against England is huge because England are so, like that. That is a really well drilled um, moment in the game and England are one of the best at it. So for the fact that um, Gwen Crab to get that try was it was huge. Um, they upset some of the line out, some of the scrums like it. What they, they did get stuck into England. I think the risk that they run is that they say to themselves, it won't get harder than this. And so they then take their foot off the gas. And so it, it's getting that balance plus getting the momentum of a, having a win going into a World Cup is is really important. Um, but yeah, in terms of moments in the match, in terms of preparation, in terms of touring for the first time to Canada, um, having the psychologist on board, the girls look in good shape, they looked fit. They just could not handle England's bench. I mean, the bench were just, it was like they came on with uh, machine guns. And it was like, honestly, they were mad. Like um, some of the England players just looked out insane. Like it was like they were Hannah Bosserman. Hannah Bosserman. <laughs> she looks like an athlete. Like she looks real good. Like physically, she looks real good. She looked so hungry when she came on. Yeah. I don't think she would have been hungry, but she looked at her. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's always hungry, mate. <laughs> um, no, nah, she looked really good. Like, um, yeah, look, the girls look good. England looked good. Um, but Wales got stuck into them. And I think that that's really good preparation for them in a sense that, you know, England, they looked at times like they haven't played much, but because they haven't. Mm. Um, uh, for them going in, Fiji... It'll be interesting to see how they get on against Canada um, and deal with the Canadian physicality. I think that's a really, it's a really good game for England. Them playing is a really good Canada? game for England. When do Eng- who plays Canada? Canada tour Fiji before they go. Oh, sorry, to- but when England playing Canada, I was like, what? These are not um, the groups I've got. Should we do a quick roundup of the pools? 
Yeah, so pool one is New Zealand, Australia, Wales and Scotland. So two international derbies, which is... In the opening weekend. <laughs> lick, lipping, lick, lip lickingly good. I tried to say this in an interview the other day and I couldn't say it. Uh, and then pool B is England, France, Fiji. Africa. South Africa. Yeah. I was scared to back myself there. And then Pool C is, of course, USA and Canada in that North American derby, Italy and Japan. Yeah. So from, from my perspective, just I think England, France, South Africa and um, Fiji will be the will be the pool where there's only two teams. I think okay. that I think that the massive scoreline. So for those that don't know, when you've got a 12 team tournament, three pools of four, you get the top two from every pool and then you get two best thirds and I think that their points difference will be huge um, because of England and France if France turn it on I think France losing to Italy um, will give Italy loads of confidence but Italy have always been a really slippery team for the French like I remember a few years ago when Italy came second in the Six Nations they absolutely smashed the French and it was bizarre it was like the French knew that because they couldn't get the Grand Slam they just didn't play but they obviously something about the Italians that don't get stuck in but I think that will give them confidence Ferlan getting her ACL that doing her ACL was awful the um Italian captain so she'll be a big miss just from a leadership perspective um but I think Pool C is the interesting one for me because Japan will show a few more of their cards this weekend um I think it's a hard call between America and Canada interestingly um Canadian legend Mandy Marchak tweeted about the fact that the Canadians have been working really hard. I think they're going to have the edge over America, actually. I think physically... Well, you say physically. So I was talking to Gareth Reese, who's obviously one of the absolute alakadoos of Canadian rugby, and he and his wife had hosted a barbecue for the girls' team um, a couple of weeks ago, ahead of them going over to Nova Scotia to play the friendly against Wales. And he said... And he was, you know... I always find this really interesting when like male legends of the game are trying to like, you know, I'm not being patronizing. I don't want this to sound weird. He was like, they were absolute beasts. He said he couldn't believe the absolute units that they've become over this kind of preseason. He said, you know, there were lots of, they used a lot of talent ID programs and stuff like that in Canada. So they are physically impressive women before they've trained. But he said they look like absolute beasts. So I think there's a lot of hope from Canadian rugby circles that they could be someone who fly under the radar at this World Cup. Yeah, and potentially, I mean, let's not forget they made a final. Like we, you know, they they made it by drawing with us in the in the pool stages, and they had a different look squad, a very very experienced squad in 2014. Um, but yeah, they they pushed England a couple of years ago when England toured America. Um, push New Zealand when New Zealand was stronger they like you know they get stuck into to teams so I think I think they'll top that pool probably um, I think the third place is the interesting one how do the Japanese deal with a team like Italy how do America like you know how do they manage that because they play so, like there's such different styles of rugby in that pool which I just absolutely love and then you flip it to the other side in pool A where you've got the real traditional rugby teams with um, Scotland, Wales, Australia and New Zealand and I think I think New Zealand will be too powerful I think when with that with the with the backs back um, and Sarah Hirani, um, I think they'll be I think they'll be too strong. 
That said, Australia, I was really impressed with, um, uh, even after the first game when they got drumming against Black Ferns. I think where Scotland and Wales will potentially or could potentially really push them and win those games at set-piece, because Australia are woeful at set-piece, and they're not going to turn that around. Like, rubbish in live health and scrum. Um, but give the ball to the backs, and they were decent. Um, so... I'm actually with yeah. Australia disappointed. I know that it's because a lot of those Aussie girls don't have 15s experience who come from the sevens, but you kind of feel like a year ago when the world was closed down, could there have been a bit of... You know, how good would Catholic be in a 15 shirt at a World Cup? Shani Williams is the only one who's making the move across. I think that's a shame. Um, I would have liked to see a few more of their sevens girls putting their hand up. Someone like Lily Dick, who is an incredibly physical player, she could really star in 15s, I think. But yeah, I think that's disappointing from their perspective. Too little, too late now, but... Uh, perhaps maybe they'll have a bit more kind of movement between the two. Um, one team I do want to talk about very, very quickly before we finish, South Africa have got a player that I cannot wait to see at the Rugby World Cup. I'm going to call her, I've got a nickname for her, and I mean this with no disrespect because it's just how I think she plays. I'm calling her the Little Waterman, the Little Nolly, the Aldi Nolly. <laughs> Ruse, who is the um, Springbok women fullback, Played at the Sevens World Cup, she absolutely carved up. They had a few disappointing matches. Their last game, they tore a strip off their opponents and she ran in about five tries, I think. But she was sublime. But she reminds me of like a little you. She's very slight. There is nothing to her. But she reminds me of you. And she's the Aldi version. From you, that's definitely not. That's the, I'd say that's a compliment. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's such. Who was it? Was it who? What's the Aldi version of Colin the Caterpillar? Uh, Clyde. 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 <laughs> Justice for Clyde. Justice for Clyde Roos. Um, so yeah, she's one to look out for. Um, we should probably wrap this up because I feel like this is about seven hours long already. Um, I do want to just a couple of words at the end of this podcast. Um, I want to send my love and thoughts to the Butler family. Um, I have known Eddie a few years and worked with him, you know, obviously at the BBC and stuff like that. He was an incredible, incredible broadcaster, an amazing voice, a lovely man, but he's also an incredible family man. He's got an amazing family who will be absolutely devastated by this loss. Uh, so to his wife, Sue, his son, Jack, who's a friend of mine and um, the rest of them, I just want to send all of my love. Um, and I do want to just say at the end of the podcast, I was in South Africa, obviously for the Sevens World Cup when Willie Lose sadly passed away it was really upsetting to be there, to be part of that. But I have to say that the World Rugby Sevens crew who I work with throughout the year have inspired me so much, the way people pulled their socks up and, and did it for Willie in the end. Um, so Steve Jameson, our our leader, our exec director, um, what an incredible man and the strength that he showed that week and the strength shown by the Kiwis on the crew just really blew me away. Yeah, and I think in particular... I watched loads of that um, tournament and uh, I think the commentators in particular really, really, I think everybody, obviously, but, um, you know, Willie was renowned for his energy and um, just turn of phrase and passion when he commentated and you could really hear that in all of the team. And I think, you know, the gantry is a small place and you are really 
such good friends you're working directly with someone and I experienced that so I can't even imagine how hard that must have been for some of them particularly that work with him on a on a weekly basis back in New Zealand um, but I think I would just like to give them massive credit for just bringing the sparkle to their commentary even more um, and I'm sure Willie who just loved rugby didn't he absolutely loved it would have been smiling down on on an amazing tournament um, yeah I think as well with what's coming up in the next few weeks with the Women's Rugby World Cup, which Willie would have been one of the main Wilfie commentators for, I think it just gives everyone even more of a kind of, yeah, come on, let's do the absolute best we can because we know that he'll be watching on. So I think with that in mind, we'll close the pot out for today. Um, squeeze your loved ones tightly. Always remember of that. And um, yeah. Even you? You don't mind? A, you don't like a hug? I don't like a hug. So <laughs> you can imagine how uncomfortable that week in South Africa became for me. <laughs> <laughs> um also just to finish off yeah if you do want to hear anything specific from laura jane jones and i um about the rugby world cup we will be covering it and um we'll be bringing different stories and different coverage um so get in touch and let us know what you'd like us to talk about or if there's any things that you'd like to hear about i think we could be doing like multiple cards every week we say that may never happen bye yeah. tryhards ah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B &B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.